our Bibles over to John, the first chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 45 and 46. Many people wonder what they can do to reach others with the gospel. But oftentimes we sit back and think that that is someone else's job. That's the preacher's job. That's the elder's job. You know, we have evangelistic members. That's their responsibility. But we all are required to be evangelistic. I can no more take the Lord's Supper for you than I can, uh, than I can evangelize for you. We have to have the power of an invitation. And there truly is power in an invitation. In John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. In 2016, the Lifeway Research Study surveyed unchurched Americans. Eight out of ten would welcome gospel conversation, and 55% would attend if invited by a family member, and 51% would attend if invited by a friend or family. When we look at how successful evangelism can be, it truly is a small number that, that uh, want to come to a congregation because of a preacher. Actually, studies were done years ago that said that people were more likely to visit a congregation due to the beauty of the building than they were as to who your preacher is. I believe it was the difference in 4 and 10%. Something along those lines. And I'm not very good at math. I'm from Arkansas. So, got, got my shoes on and everything if I'm going to count those. Uh, on a side note, I have asked uh, my wife when I die to put the Arkansas Razorbacks as the pallbearers at my funeral so they can let me down one last time. So, <laughs> tough being a Razorbacks fan. So, but what we see of all the ways we might reach others, what could be the most possibly the best effective way is a personal talk about Jesus to someone. A friend, a family member, or a neighbor. And we have to understand that that is our responsibility. That is not anyone else's responsibility. That is our responsibility. So what you have to do is you have to be an opportunity creator. Be an opportunity creator. And we do that in a couple of different ways. If you're taking notes, that is our first point. Be an opportunity creator. Over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, what we see is in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. It's not enough to say I'm a Christian. We have to do more than that. We have to live the Christian life. Christianity isn't something that we just show up to do once a week. We have to hunger for that growth. Got a baby, one year old, sitting in mama's lap right now. Hey, buddy. Never at any time do we hear over the baby monitor, Mom, Mom, yes, uh, you fed me on Sunday, and it is Saturday evening, and I believe I'll want to eat tomorrow morning. That's not how it works. That baby gets hungry. All hours of the night, or, or so she tells me. <laughs> that baby gets hungry, and that baby longs for spiritual milk, for food. We need to have that longing to grow in our Christianity every day of the week. 
for our lives. In 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We need to be a people that live above reproach. I know that's a qualification for an elder, but wouldn't it be good if we all did that? So that way, if the liberal buffoons are like, they're just bigots there and they hate people. People in the community will go, they're not bigots. When my mom died, they were there to help with my yard. They're not bigots. They do stuff in the community all the time. They're not bigots. They knock doors and they actually seem like they're caring people. And it pours heaping coals on the heads of those liars. If we look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we're an opportunity cre a creator because we are ready to give an answer. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be a people that knows the Word. Knows the Word. And it's not all that difficult. It really isn't. I promise. If it was, I couldn't do it. I assume just about everyone in here has had a job at some point in their life. And they need to know how to do that job effectively. I know Doug was a truck driver for many years. I imagine we could pull, could have pulled Doug over and, hey, Doug, tell us about the truck. Oh, yeah, this is the manifold Zoopy Bop. And, you know, if you look in here, it's the ring of a pop Zoopy Doop. And he gone into my car knowledge there. But he would be able to tell us all about his truck. You could consider your livelihood and ask, well, how do you do this? Oh, well, let me tell you. This is what I do at work. Yada, 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 yada. And you're able to go into detail as to why you do that. But if somebody walks up and says, how come you people in the Church of Christ believe in baptism for the remission of sins? I don't know. How ignorant do you think that makes us look? Can you tell me about your job? Uh-huh. Can you tell me how to become a Christian? Do you go every week? Uh-huh. But you can't tell me why? We need to be able to give an answer. Uh, one of my favorite things is you ask somebody, all right, well, how do you put on Christ? And some of our denominational friends will say, well, you say a sinner's prayer. Or you take Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. But if you look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, how does it say we put on Christ? It is at baptism that we put on Christ. Isn't it great to let the Bible be its own best commentary? We need to be knowledgeable because we are different. You look under the old law, and uh, God told the people, don't mark your skin, don't trim the corners of your beard, don't do all of these different things, because those people were meant to be different. Because if you look back in those societies, especially in Egypt, you saw those long, skinny goatees. God wanted His people, His men, to have full beards. He didn't, you look in the societies that were around, they had their arms carved up. They had tattoos all over. And knowing people were like, oh yeah, well our God's the best. I'm going to mark myself up real good. God's like, no. What's going to make you different isn't that you mark your body. You're not going to mark your body. You're going to be completely different. We have people that advocate no tattoos today, but let me tell you, it's some, some clean-faced brothers with no whiskers at all, are the ones saying that we shouldn't get tattoos. I'm like, well, if we're going to bind some old law, better at least be consistent. So, we need to be ready to give an answer for things. Like, how come we don't use mechanical instruments of music? I don't know. Because we're told to sing. Necessary inference. 
doesn't have to say don't. Don't use instruments because we see what's right. Some people will say things like, well, Jesus never preached against gay marriage. He may not have, but he told us what was right. He told us what was right in Matthew 19, man and woman. He didn't have to say, well, man and woman is right, and man and man is wrong, and woman and woman is wrong, and man and dog is wrong, and woman and car is wrong. Man and wife is right. That's all he had to say, what was right. It wasn't, he didn't have to give a laundry list of what's wrong. We see in the New Testament we're to sing. We're to make melody in our heart. That's psalo and humion cardea. That is the Greek for make melody in your heart. Psalo is to play or to pluck. What type of muscle do we have in our heart? Cardiac. So cardea. So we could easily translate that to sing and pluck your heartstrings. We need to be singing with all of our heart. That's definitely not an invitation for mechanical instruments of music. We've been told specifically to sing. So we don't have to say, well, can we do this? We sing. Well, can you do that? We sing. Because that's what it tells us to do. Because if that's not how it works, Nadab and Abihu got a bone to pick. Well, you didn't say don't. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, they were killed on the spot. We need to be a people who are ready to give an answer. And what does that take? Effort. Effort. If we put in the effort in our jobs as some put in their Christianity, you would be fired on the spot. We need to be a people that are able to give an answer. And I promise it's not hard. It's not hard. Just to study and to learn. And we should be excited about that. When we understand that we're able to give an answer, our lifestyle and our example will prompt people to be interested. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if, you, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What's the worst thing somebody's going to do to us in America today? Call us a name. We might lose a job, but we can find another job. They can call worse by better. Think about it that way. You got people that say they want to charge you a hundred thousand dollars and throw you in there, throw you in jail for uh, killing a eagle egg, but are a okay with killing a baby? Doesn't make sense. First Peter three sixteen and seventeen says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's the key. Suffer for doing what is good. Now, if you're a dummy and you go sixty and a thirty-five and you get pulled over, you can't say, "Well, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian." No, you're suffering because you got a lead foot. If we're going to suffer, let it be for Christ. Let it be for Christ and no more. We also are an opportunity creator by our conversations. Let's look to John chapter 1 verses 45 and 46. Again, what we started out with, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we, are, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. We should develop a habit of discussing topics that could turn into an opportunity for an invitation. Jesus, the Bible, biblical principles, the church, reading the Bible, prayer, etc. Those should be opportunities for us. And when you look for opportunities, what do you often find? Good that can happen. I coach T-ball. 
I'm on the, the softball board there in town. I work with little kids. I've done it for two years. This past week, I sent out a text to our whole team and said, Hey, I'm going to be talking about our t-ball season in church services. Would love to have you come to worship with us. One of the families came. And told me, she said, we've been looking for a place to worship. And you know, this just was, it was just such a surprise that you sent that. And I've, you know, I've been thinking about that. Good. Yes. Had a great time. And we, we do that when we're looking for opportunities. So if we're an opportunity creator, and we share Jesus in the community, we share the, the congregation, we talk about biblical things of a biblical nature, what's going to happen if they do show up? Oftentimes we try to get people in, but what are they going to see when they come in? What was Nathaniel going to see when he saw Philip? We look in verses 47 to 49. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were, uh, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It took that invitation, and I get goosebumps thinking about that. It took an invitation from Philip to get Nathaniel. What about Peter? It took his brother Andrew. Jesus is not in the flesh today. And when we invite people, what are they going to see? They're going to see His church following His will. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we understand that the church belongs to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, when I was in college, I went to college on a choir scholarship. I sang in operas, sang in Carnegie Hall in 2003. I love to sing. I, I would love to do solos in church. Uh, I'd love to get up there and, and, and put on a good show. But it's not the church of JJ. It's the church of Christ. What does Christ want? We look in Acts 20 and verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Christ's blood bought the church. And we make up the church. We are the body. God adds us to the body. We're also going to show people that we follow His will. Ephesians 5, 23-24. We understand where we are, and that is at the feet of God. We're not equals to God. We serve God. We worship God. How do the angels worship God in heaven now? Holy, holy, holy. They sing all the time. What is our approach? In Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You know, I, I don't know if any of y'all have heard of the Babylon Bee. Has anybody heard of the Babylon Bee? It's a satire website, and it's a religious satire website. And one of the articles was Joel Osteen was injured jumping off the stage because someone almost opened their Bible during one of his lessons. <laughs> we need to be a people that are in our Bible. And I love Doug. I love Doug. I've loved Doug for seven years now. But I'm not going to believe something just because Doug told me that. If, if he's preaching a, preaching a sermon, I want to encourage you to be a note taker. Go home, make sure he said what's right. And if he, if he didn't, you better hold him to the carpet. You better hold his feet to the fire. 
We need to be a people that when people come, they see that we are following His will. Not our own will. Not our own desires. I mean, who loves a good rock show? I do. Been to some pretty good concerts. That would be entertaining to me. But the sweet-smelling aroma is what's pleasing to God. Because if you look in the Old Testament, you see where that sweet-smelling aroma was? It was always their obedience. I mean, you throw certain meats up on that fire. I mean, they didn't have barbecue sauce. So imagine what some of that smelled like. It couldn't have been good. If we use some of the mentality of our denominational friends, they would go up and go, Oh, this smells terrible. Somebody get the potpourri. We're going to make this smell good. It's going to be fun. The sweet-smelling aroma is obedience. And that's what we need to be a church that does, is obey. So when people show up and they have Bible questions, how do we respond? Bible answers. I love being a member of the New Testament church, don't you? We don't have to wait for a, have a catechism or a year-round conference or puff of smoke or anything like that to tell us what we believe now. We have the unchanging Word of God. I love that. And when people say, why do you do what you do? Okay, well, let's look. You know, I preached down in uh, McCurtain County about six, seven years ago. And I remember there was a woman that they said she is never going to obey the gospel. She's a part of this denominational group. And she is never going to leave that denominational group. And you would be wasting your time to talk to her. So me thinks, okay. She shows up on a Wednesday night. And guess what we were studying? Acts chapter 2. She says, I want, to have a, I want to study with you. I want to sit down and study with you. I said, okay. We sat down the next day and I said, where do you want to go? How come y'all don't do this? Okay. Turn over to the scripture. I'm like, this is what's going on. Why don't you read that for me? She reads it. I've never seen this before. Okay. What's your next question? She's asking questions and asking questions. And her, her husband's sitting next to her going, <laughs> double thumbs up and... We continue on for about two and a half hours. She starts asking about baptism. And I said, if you died right now, where would you go? She says, the Bible says I'd go to hell. I said, we can fix that. Do you want to? She said, yes. She walked fully clothed into the baptistry. We immersed her into Christ. She's still faithful today. If I had just been like, well, you know, eh, people said she doesn't want to hear it, you know. I'm just not going to evangelize to her. Where would that be? Where would, where would she be? Where would I end up? We need to be a people that are cautious about doing what is right. Being biblical. Doing things the Bible way. We see John chapter 4 and verse 24. We see that worship should be carried out consistent with the New Testament pattern. John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The work of the church must follow the pattern. We have a pattern to follow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Y'all are doing good. 
You're being biblical. You're following the pattern. You're following the plan. You still have that fire. It all comes together. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, this is where our denominational friends get a little mixed up. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, "...from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." A body that moves effectively. Bow fracture in my fibula. I'm not walking normal. This boot isn't equal with my shoe. So I waddle around worse than normal. And I can feel it in my hips. I can feel it in my back. I can feel it in my knee. How is the Lord's church any different? If we're not functioning as we should, or if there's a part that's not functioning as it should... It's going to be a hurting congregation. If we follow the biblical plan, we can be effective. We can move effectively. We can grow and we can build muscle. And we can grow on that. But if we had a pile of big toes, would we have a body? No, we'd have a horror movie. If we're going to be a body, everybody has a role. And some people can say, well, well I want that role. Well, sorry. Men, you can't father children, no matter what the liberal media says. Men, you can't do that. She's using that as an example. Some women, I think I could preach. Well, how about you teach ladies Bible class? Well, I think I could do this. Why don't you do this instead? We need our women. We need women. Don't have less important jobs. Everybody has an effective job for the Lord's church. Isn't that right? And when we start having problems is when we start getting that pile of big toes. We have to understand that, that if we're going to be the church of the Bible, if we're going to be that good example, His Word must be studied and proclaimed. There are congregations today, not here, because I know Doug, that they're not preaching anything wrong, but they're not really preaching anything all that right either. We need to be a people that preach the whole counsel of God because we have the word of Christ. 1 Peter 1.25 But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 2 That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. I love studying messianic prophecy. I love studying messianic prophecy because what we see is a God that keeps His promises. And when we understand that we serve a God that keeps His promises, we know that if we're obedient, we will go to heaven. I had a teacher once that said, you can't know that you're going to go to heaven. Really? Can't know. What about 2 Timothy chapter 4? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a great crown of righteousness. And not only me, but also all who believe. If we are in our Bible and do what the Bible says, we can know we're right with God. Now, if we think we're right with God and we aren't studying the Bible and we're living how we want, that's ignorance. We need to have a good knowledge of the Word and do what that says. We have an obligation to teach what is found in His Word and only that. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. 
And we can also show people from the Scriptures what is true. In Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, And Paul went in, as was his custom on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Acts chapter 2. What did Peter utilize to tell the Jews they had killed the Messiah? Old Testament Scripture. The prophecies that they knew about. Now how effective would it have been if Peter had gotten up and said, Y'all killed Jesus and He was my friend and y'all are big jerks. <laughs> oh men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, yeah, but he was a liar. And Peter was able to say, the prophet Joel said this. David said this. And we could go to David's tomb and his bones are still in there. This was talking about the Jesus that you crucified. Imagine the dread that they had because those Jews were looking for the king all the time. But they were looking for a physical king. What do we do? We mess this up. He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And they did that. Invited guests will see that His people are proving to be His disciple. And we do that in various ways by showing brotherly love to one another. In John 13 verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what should we do to each other? Huh? Love. love, thank you. Okay, I'm going to make sure you say it. Love. We're to love each other. You don't got to be a mute. We can participate. We're to love each other. And what does that take? Being interested in each other. Working with each other. Make your best friends Christian and make, your Christians, make Christians your best friends. Always be evangelizing those who are lost and try to build relationships in the body. Because let me tell you, when people come and visit and sit down and nobody says anything to them, they don't feel welcome. I know everybody has their quote-unquote designated pew. Lisa and I got to experience this. I don't think Adeline had been born yet. I was filling in somewhere and sat in one of the front pews. Because I want to just be able to get up and preach. And I'm sitting on the inside, and this woman comes and sits down next to me, hip to hip. I'm not joking. Her hip touched mine. And I looked over at her, and, oh, I guess this is your pew. So I got up, and her husband came, plopped right down where I'd been sitting. You don't know how welcome that made me? It made me see, feel so unwelcome that nine years later, I'm using it as an example in a sermon. <laughs> we need to be a people that don't major in the minors. We need to be a people that understand that we're to love each other. And when we see a visitor, we're going to love them too. They're going to see that we're a loving congregation, that we like to be around each other, that we like to be with each other. By welcoming those from outside, as I was saying, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you have to while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? One of my preachers and uh, teachers in preaching school told us in one of our classes he had been fired. But they had had 11 or so baptisms, a lot of baptisms, and his elders called him in and fired him because the people that he was baptizing weren't contributing much. They weren't making the budget go up. And there's going to be a nice warm place in hell for people that are like that. You can't put money on a soul. You can't put money on a soul. I've also heard the story once of someone saying we're praying, paying the preacher too much. And somebody said, he's only had a few baptisms this year. And somebody, somebody responded, even if it's one, you can't put a price tag on a soul. I don't know if that's true or not, but it wouldn't be surprising. It wouldn't be surprising because sometimes people can forget who they serve, and that's Jesus. By welcoming those on the outside, no matter what their lot in life is, whether they smell great or whether they stink, we're going to treat them with dignity and tell them dignity. That's right, buddy. And we're going to be pleased that they're here worshiping with us. As I said before, John 4.24, invite a guest will see that we are proving to be His disciples by worshiping in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And if somebody comes to visit, they are going to see us being an example. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul writing to young Timothy says, set the, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We have to do all of those things. The way we talk, the way we act, the way we love. Our faith and our purity. We had a youth, a youth deal yesterday morning. And I talked about the three times in First Peter where Peter told him to be sober-minded. I have a friend on Facebook that put up our, our summer youth series there in East Texas. And it's the, the theme is things to take with you before you leave home. And one of them, one of the lessons the third week is it is sinful to drink beverages of alcohol. And somebody got on there and said... What do you mean? And the kid, the kid, one of our young adults thought it was a joke and wrote LOL. He goes, no, really. You can drink alcoholic beverages and not get drunk. So I responded with, okay, I know you know better than this. I said, what's the definition of being drunk? What's the biblical definition of being drunk? If we don't have that biblical definition, we shouldn't be going near it. Some people will say, well, you know, Paul said, you know, take some oil, or take, take some wine for your stomach. You ever think about how nasty their water had been? And that grape juice might be a better substitute just for a little while, because oinos can mean non-alcoholic. So you're telling me today that people are hinging their opinion on social drink by someone who was sick in the Bible? Man, today we could just say, get some Tums. 
Take some Prilosec. You don't have to drink Jack Daniels because that's what ends up happening is, well, you know it said take a little wine for your stomach. Well, how much are you going to drink? Oh, about half a bottle of Jack Daniels. Hey, this isn't right at all. We need to be sober-minded. What that means is I'm not going to, if the microphone's sin, which some people treat it like it is, they want to get as close as they can to it. I'm not sinning. I've got kids. You can't get mad at me because I'm not touching you. You can't get mad at me. You play with fire and you get burned. If we know that something is sinful, is mentioned in the same breath as adulterers and murderers, I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to be near it. That should be our mindset. I don't want to be near it. We need to be a good example. And our example is being sober-minded. Our example is being pure. Our example should be staying away from evil. So let's consider the power of an invitation. As we saw in John 1, 45 and 46, what Philip did for Nathaniel. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. And he did. And he met the Christ. Are we utilizing the power of an invitation? While Christ is not in human form, we are His bride. We're His bride. We should be acting exactly how He desires for us to act. That is loving and obedient. We're the Lord's church. Share how to enter in and how God desires for us to live without hypocrisy. Strive to be the best that we can be. So when we do offer that invitation and somebody comes, they're not immediately turned off. Be loving. Be warm. Be scriptural. And look for opportunities. Because there is great power in an invitation. The lesson is yours this evening. Am I giving an invitation? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Giving an invitation. There are many people who will say things like, you know, I became a Christian, and you say, how? They say, I said a sinner's prayer. Romans 10, 13, forever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the beauty of the Bible is that the Bible is harmonious. And if you look at Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who cries to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who obey the will of my Father. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everyone who cries to me, Lord, Lord. We see what could be an apparent contradiction. So we have to study it out. What did it mean to the first century writers to call upon the name of the Lord? We go to Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Ananias told Paul, Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Calling on the name of the Lord very much involves baptism, but that's not all. You have to hear Romans 10.17, believe John 3.16, repent Luke 13.3, Jesus said, repent or likewise perish. We must confess as Romans 10, 9, and 10 states, and we must be baptized. 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. And let me tell you something, church. We do ourselves a disservice sometimes when we read the songbooks instead of pay attention to the preacher. We do ourselves a disservice 
when we put so much of an emphasis on baptism, all steps of salvation are equally important. Let me tell you, I'm a twisted steel up under this, under this jacket. And I get down there and swim with the kids in the pool, and they want to try the big guy. And it doesn't work out in their favor. And I dunk them under the water. Am I immersing them into Christ? No. I'm immersing them, not into Christ. You take away that repentance, that belief, that confession, all you're doing is getting wet. Baptizing babies, all you're doing is getting them wet. And with how they're dumping them in barrels sometime, I think you should call Child Protective Services. Gagging a baby ain't right. We must do all of these things equally. You can't become a Christian before baptism. Galatians 3.27, baptism is when you put on Christ. Romans 6, 3 and 4, baptism uh, is, uh, represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it is at baptism that you walk in a newness of life. It's not a belief, which is a work, as Christ said in John 6. Some people say, well, you shouldn't have to work for your salvation. Well, belief is a work. So you're, how are you going to become a Christian? You have to change your life. You have to confess Jesus as Lord. You have to be baptized. And it's at baptism that your sins are washed away. And then you confess Jesus every day with every part of your life. You know, if you have been obedient to the gospel, but you haven't confessed Jesus with your life, you can change that tonight. Now, I know that we're in a society now that when people don't want to come forward, even if they need it, they'll come to church broken and leave broken and blame the church. How does that make any sense? If somebody can explain that to me, I want to hear it. And I bet Doug wants to hear it too. How you can come to church hurt and leave, leave church hurting and then say it's the church's fault. That doesn't make sense. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you need prayers, if you want to get back on the right track, this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. Say, you know what? I hadn't been doing what's right. I hadn't been the best example. I hadn't been the best example in the community. I hadn't been the best example of friendliness when we have visitors that come. I'm not looking for opportunities to evangelize, but I'm going to start now. Do it tonight. Whatever your need is, there's no shame in coming forward. I've done it enough. Hard for the preacher to come forward. Why is he sitting down? Because I'm coming forward. If you're not right with God tonight, do whatever it takes to get right with God. Be obedient to the gospel. Ask for prayers. Change your life. Whatever it takes as we stand and as we sing.